But it was in Africa, and this African farmer had a very uh, prosperous uh, farmland. And then all of a sudden, it was like sort of we had the gold rush here. They sort of had something similar to that uh, there where diamond mines were being discovered. And several of people that owned these farms had sold what they had, and they pursued the riches of diamonds. And this particular farmer got all caught up in the enthusiasm of that, so he sold all his property, and he went into prospecting for diamonds. Well, after a few years of that, probably a number of years, he used up all his resources. He was so broke and destitute and poor and so downtrodden, he actually threw himself in the river and drowned. And see, the thing about that, that, uh, that event that happened, and it's supposed to be a true event, the man that bought that property was out walking the property one day, and he saw something sort of glistening in the stream that was on his property. He went out, and he picked it up. It was a very, very large glistening stream, but really it was a diamond, but it was a rough diamond, of course. But he liked it so much he put it on his mantle, not knowing anything about what he had. And he had a friend come over to the house one day, and he saw it on the mantle, and immediately he knew what it was. And he walked over, and he said, where did you get this? He said, well, it was laying on the bed of my stream. I saw it, uh, you know, sitting there in a shallow part of it. And uh, he said, do you know what this is? He says, oh, well, I like it. But no, he says, this is a diamond. And it turned out to be one of the largest diamonds ever discovered during that time. And then he said to him, he says, well, he said, you know, that's the biggest one I've seen. But he said, I've got a number of them spread out on the stream where I was at. I can see them. Turned out that that property was filled with diamonds and was one of the largest diamond discoveries during that time. And I say that to say that sometimes, and I, that's why I asked how many how many. Uh, if you had been here for a lengthy amount of time because, see, we have what we call these days church hoppers. And this is not the subject of what I'm going to share on today, but I'm sort of giving you a little bit of hint of what it's about. But sometimes we look for contentment in what we see in a church, whether it's programs and some of the biggest churches I've seen have all kinds of programs going on. In fact, I remember a pastor that went into a church uh, years ago, I'm going back probably 25, 30 years ago, he had just graduated from Bible college, and he went to this church as a new youth minister. Well, the prior one had a large group of young people there. I mean, this church was huge, and they had, they had probably 100 or better of the youth coming. And they were doing uh, pizza parties. They were doing bowling parties. They were doing a lot of partying, and very little of the word was being imparted to them. And he immediately changed that. And what he did, he says, as of right now, there are no more bowling parties, no more pizza parties. We're, we're going to study the Word of God. Well, guess what happened? The next week, he only had a handful of, of them show up because their motive and the intent of their heart was something other than studying and mining out the riches of the diamonds of the Word of God. And so he, he did not get discouraged. He began on that. All of a sudden, people were growing. These young people were growing. They felt alive in God. Things began to happen. And guess what? That youth group drew to several times, maybe three times the amount it was before he started there. That's what happens when we get our priorities right 
and we get things according to what the kingdom of God is. And there are so many people that actually will leave a place to go to somewhere else looking to be content, looking for contentment in something that they see with their eyes that, oh, I think this would be a great place to be at. And they leave the place, and then they hear years later, what church did you say? I used to go there. Oh, man, I'm telling you what, the Spirit of God is really moving. And they're, they're maybe on their third or fourth uh, church now. I mean, they've really been moving around. And so rather than staying in commitment and staying where they're at and, and, and just, just uh, harnessing the riches that are right there where they are. And so I think so much of that. And today I want to share with you just about living a contented life. And I was telling a uh, brother back there, I said, I'm going to get under some fingernails today. And he said, uh-oh. And I said, well, actually, I'm, I've gotten under my own first. And physically, I did that. I was clipping a nail, and I actually clipped the skin, and I had blood just oozing out of there. I've got some pictures. Can we put them up on the? <laughs> but there's something about living a contented life. And today, we have mass confusion where we shouldn't because we have need shifted to want. I want, I want, I want, and you know something? It is never satisfying. You're never satisfied, and unless you peel back the layers of what's in your heart to realize why you're focusing so much on those things, and there's nothing wrong with having nice things. There's nothing wrong with being rich if that's the way God blesses you. I have a friend who's very, very well off. Uh, client of mine, but now has become a very good friend. We will sit down over a cup of coffee, and guess where we have that coffee at? It's not over at Panera Bread, and that's a nice place. Got nothing against that. It's over at McDonald's, and that was his, his choice. Hey, let's meet at McDonald's. We've been doing it for years now. Just a good old McDonald's cup of coffee. And so he's very well off, but you would never know it. You know why? Because money is not is God. The Lord has blessed him and he gives into the kingdom. And I'm telling you, there are wealthy people and those wealthy people give into the kingdom. Yes. But so many of the times we have to guard our heart. In fact, all the warnings that Paul gives and all the ammunition, I mean, ammunition. <laughs> ammunition, thank you, brother. That he gives to the church are to believers. It's not to the lost. It's to those that are saved. Other than the fact that John the Baptist said to the soldiers one time, well, what do we need to do when he's baptizing people? And what did he say to them? He said to, them, to the soldiers, he said, and, and what should we do? And he says, take no, take, do not take money by force or false accusation, he said, but be content with your wages. And there is so much of a discontentment that's going on in this land that we live in, in the United yeah. States, because we're a prosperous nation. And we haven't had to go through some of the things that people go through in other nations. I remember back in the early 2000s taking a missions trip uh, to Trinidad, Trinidad Tobago, uh, up through there. And um, we landed in, in, um, this, in Manaus. It was, a, I think, the big, probably the biggest city over there in that area at the time, in Brazil, actually, on this trip. And, um, you know... Well, we got to the Holiday Inn, and the Holiday Inn there is not like the Holiday Inn is here, but it's adequate. And one of the guys that were waiting on us, they said, we're actually going to go to his church. You know, he's a, he's a pastor of a church there. I said, oh, that's neat. 
Well, you know what? When we got there, I saw a cinder block building, and most of the churches over there do not have, they have windows cut out, but they don't have window panes because they need airflow. Very hot over there. Can't afford air conditioning. So I looked at that, and I looked inside. It's very simple. But what really astounded me was in the back of the church, maybe 20 feet from the church, is where he lived. And I'm not kidding you. If I took from the wall to, say, right here, and I drew a line, say, to about right here, that was their total living space with five kids. Now, I tell you what. I don't know how he did it, except by the grace of God. They had a, a curtain or something going down the middle, I guess, to separate one room from the other. But I thought, wow, that man is really serving out of a right heart. He's working. That's a, you know, here, and there's nothing wrong with being a full-time in the ministry of supporting. I'm, I'm all for that. I have nothing against that. That's not my point today. But what, what really got me was a little boy, I think he was about five or six years old, was, was jumping up and down in gleeful, and he was so excited, and he was speaking in Portuguese. And so I asked the guy, I said, what is he saying? He says, oh, he's just all excited because they got a new radio. Although, wow, you know, that was a big deal. A new radio probably picked up more stations and things like that. But I looked at, at the humble means, and I thought to myself, you know what? I wish every young person could go to a, thir to a third world country and just spend a week or two there. I think it would change some perspectives. Because we lose sight of that because we're so closed up in our own realm and all the comfort and the things that we have. And as I said, the word has a lot to say about being content. And I think most of us have been there at one time. You know, God has a way of drawing out, because he loves us, some of the things that are in our heart that's not his best. And he did that to me one day. Boy, he really, he really slipped me a Mickey. You know, I've never really been much in the stock market. About, about 15 years ago, I bought some stocks because it looked like it had potential. I only kept it a short time, I think maybe a month. And a month later, I don't know if Kathy knows this or not. I shouldn't be talking right about this. Turn with me if you would. So I bought those stocks, and you know what? About three weeks to a month later, it jumped up. And I thought, wow, if I cash this in right now, I'm going to make $3,000. I said, that's pretty darn good. I said, I think it's peaked out, so I cashed it in. Got my $3,000. Man, I felt great. Until two weeks later. <laughs> two weeks later, I just happened to check on that stock again. And it went absolutely crazy. And when I say absolutely crazy, I'm talking to the tune. If I had kept it two more weeks, I would have made $49,000. Oh, my gosh. I can't explain. I can't, I can't tell you the emotions that were going on inside of me. And it's like the Lord was up there just pushing buttons. You know? And, and, and all of a sudden, and I kid you not. I had this physical pain. It was a burning pain right in my gut. Oh, my. Dr. Doug, what was that? He's not even up here. I had this burning. It was a burning pain right in my stomach. And I didn't like it. 
And then it's like the Holy Spirit said, greed. Yeah, yeah. Why am I, you know, I made $3,000. That's pretty darn good. Until what could have happened came along. Now listen, is anybody here not been there? Maybe not to that degree. But been there where you made a buying decision or you did something and then you found out, uh-oh, if I would have waited just a little bit longer. But the Lord has a way of bringing to light because he loves us so much those things that are kind of hidden in our heart. Sometimes we have to pull those layers back right. to find out exactly why we're acting the way we are about certain things. You know, you ever met somebody that just had a problem with anger? Yeah. Yeah, you know what? Anger is no more than disappointment. When I see a person that's angry, I say, hey, man, what, what are you so disappointed about? What do you mean? I'm not disappointed. Yes, you are. You are. If you think about anything you're angry, it's something happened that made you disappointed. And the worse it is, the, I guess the more manifestation it can have. But in the, in the Word, this is what, um, what it says concerning Paul. He said, God is able to make grace abound to you all so that in all things, can you say all things? In all things, heaven, all that you need, you will abound in every good work. 1 Timothy 6, 6, he said, of course, godliness with contentment is of great gain. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these things. Hebrews 13, uh, 5, and I'm going to read that because I want to read it in the New King James first. Very, 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 very uh, powerful word here. He says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with the things that you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Actually, use the scripture that it was given to Joshua about being strong and courageous. Anybody remember we talked about that last week? But he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He says, the Lord is my helper. I will fear not what man can do unto me. Right. Now, most translations will have it this way. Keep your lives free of the love of money and be content with what you have. For God said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Godly contentment, but the Lord has a way. Now, there's nothing wrong with having nice things. We're doing some remodeling in our house right now. Actually, been doing it since we moved in. You know? Kind of incrementally. I think it's a lifelong thing. And Kathy and I are going to finally give it up. And the kids are going to enjoy it. And, and that's okay. That's okay. And, it's, and thank the Lord for the ladies in our life. I'm not, I'm not picking on them. But I met a guy um, some years ago in the business that I'm in. And both of us were going to a meeting in Des Moines, Iowa. And we had some, we have some, we had some layover time in Cincinnati. And, you know, um, I knew him from the time he came on with the company. In fact, he, pl he played a trumpet in gigs at nightclubs. And then, and then we hired him. I think, what are we doing here? Going after people. But you know what? He turned out to be a top ten agent. And I really liked him. I mean, his first year, he far exceeded anything I ever did. But I still liked him. But anyway, he got married a few years later. He said, I've known him a long time. And still, time to time, we still stay in contact. But we're sitting at the airport. We've got a couple hours before our flight. And he is just having a tough time. And you know, um, financially, he was doing great. He was well off. 
but his wife was spending money at the level of their income. And the more he made, the more she did, the more he had to do. And he was just miserable. And all I could do was just listen to him and just kind of encourage him. But he was in a situation like that to where, that, and I don't know, maybe you've seen some, some other uh, examples of that to where that's a marriage that's out of balance and one person is just taken off in a direction. And I don't mean to pick on the ladies. If it wasn't for you ladies, we'd probably be living in a cave. Right. You know, on a rock, and sitting down. <laughs> And being content. And then we had to let them into our cave and they started hanging bones on the wall and <laughs> sweeping the floor and things changed. But thank the Lord for the women. If it wasn't for Kathy, my house wouldn't look nearly as nice as it was, as it does now. It just wouldn't. So I'm not clamoring about that. And some of the women will tell you if you've ever met them about their husbands. There's so many things that need to be done and so many things that they need that are necessities, and yet they're spending money on a, a huge bass boat yeah. that really looks nice, and that's not good enough for a few years later. Oh, I should have gotten this one. And she's left neglected, so we need <clears throat> the balance of the word in our life and every circumstance and every issue as we go. I don't know about you, but I, I, if you think about those you know that have been through divorce, and I've counseled with many of them, Money is always one of the main issues, finances in a marriage. It almost always, unless there's unfaithfulness or something else going on, it almost, you can drill it down to the money and the contentment factor. Instead of being content with what we have, and thank the Lord he blesses us. And as far as this country being blessed, we do a lot just in our government to other nations. Billions and billions of dollars helping them out. We know that. I think that's part of the reason God's blessed us so much as a nation because we're a given nation. We've given to others into needs. And the church, really, there shouldn't be a need anywhere that the church cannot meet, right. it, particularly with one another. You know, I was talking to uh, one of my son-in-laws, and he was talking about, well, I'd like to have something like that. I said, hey, if I've got one, you've got one. You can come over anytime and get it and pick it up and use it. I had one brother that uh, we're in the midst of looking for another vehicle right now. I want a Lamborghini, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> Actually, I don't want that, but it kind of sends a message of what I was looking at. And then I saw the cost of it, and I thought, well, you know what? I probably can do it, but I'm not going to. You know, you got to draw the line somewhere. Because we live in an age of technology. My smartphone is already out of date, and I've only had it two years. <laughs> There's always something fancy and new coming out. And we always want the latest gadgets and everything else, you know. And I won't ask how many of you are over, over uh, topside on uh, credit card debt. I don't want to go there. I've been there one time. I didn't like it. And I said, never again. You know. In fact, I call that credit card. I call that legalized loan sharking. Man. You know. I'll go to Lowe's and get something, and I'll pay it off within that time period. But they always send out this notice, you know. And I thought, wow, if I pay just a minimum on this, it's going to take me 20 years. You know? Godliness with contentment is of great gain. Well, how do you do that? How, I mean, how do you live a life 
free of the love of money when you're being pulling apart and distracted in, in so many different directions. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with having nice things as long as you can afford it and you live within your means. I read this quote about a guy who saw a bumper sticker one time. He says, he says, I am now starving on the money in my dream that I wanted. Think about that. That makes sense to you, Steve? You're over there looking at me. Did I say that right? Huh? Spending at the level of an income and not having anything and still being broke. You know, broke is broke. It doesn't matter if you're making 350000 a year or if you're making 50000 a year. Broke is broke if you're spending it all. In fact, people lose so much sleep over finances. And those that have a lot, they're constantly looking and wondering what's going to happen that's going to take it away from me. They're yeah. watching facts, Fox News. And here lately, it's become a Debbie Downer. Because they talked about, I was listening to it one night, talked about the price of cotton is going through the roof. You're going to pay more for your clothes if you want to get cotton. And oh, by the way, gas is going to be up to $5 a gallon before the year's out. And not only that, but then one thing after another, I said, oh my gosh, I turned it off. Because my life and my identity is not based on what happens in this world. Because Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He says he'll supply, the word says he'll supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. And we can rest in that. And most of the scriptures that are taught are taught about, about being content. But it's talking about the necessities of life. They had no idea, weren't fathoming all the riches and things that they wanted to have. They were just trying to make ends meet week to week. And the Lord says, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I will be your supplier. I will be there. I will give you the strength, and I will give you the avenues for everything you need in your life, the same promises that we live by today. But we've got to have the right attitude of heart no matter where we're at in our finances and our standing. And not only just being content in that, what about being content in your calling? The best example that I can think of that here and I miss would be Delana Buick. Man, I'm telling you, she's content in her calling. Amen. And I've never seen someone serve, and I've seen ladies in other churches that were had the same position she had. Man, they were like drill sergeants. And they didn't look like they were enjoying what they were doing. They got kind of got wormed into it because they were pretty good organizers and stuff. But they didn't like it. I didn't see any of that in Delana. And she could be a little bit of a drill sergeant. But in a sweet way and in a right attitude of heart. Yes. I remember one night we had a meeting downstairs. It was a leadership meeting. And she had prepared meals for everyone. And we were just a little bit shorthanded. So I jumped from being part of that leadership meeting to help and serve. And so I asked her, Delaney, what can I do? And she told me what I needed to do. And I knew I wanted to do it exactly the way she wanted to do it because she was in charge. Right. And you know something? There is no rank in the body of Christ. Right. When there's no military rank. Oh, yes, we have apostles and prophets, and we have the fivefold calling. But guess what that fivefold calling is to do? It's to serve the body of Christ Amen. and to feed and nurture the body of Christ. It's a position of servant, but there is no rank. She's fulfilling her calling exactly what she needs to do. It's no different than what I'm doing up here today or what Pastor Tim or anyone else does. Right. Be content in your calling yeah. in what he's called you to do. You know, I don't know how accurate it is now, but I read some years ago, but I think it's probably pretty close to 80% of the people in this country hated their jobs. And they go to work for hating their jobs. 
In fact, I remember Andrew Womack talking about that one day where he walked into the break room, and he had over, he's got over 100 employees, walked into the break room, and he walked in just at the time where a young man there said, thank God it's Friday. So Andrew walked over to him. He says, what's so special about Friday? He said, hey, my week's over. I get to go home for the weekend. He said, so you don't like your job? I mean, we've got plenty of people, applicants right now. We could replace you. We've got some. If you're not happy, oh, boy. He's, and Andrew was having a little fun with him. And he, but he started backpedaling. Oh, no, no, I like it here. Well, if you like it here, then why is Friday such a big deal to you? I mean, how come you can't say, thank God, it's Monday or Tuesday or what we call now the World Hump Wednesday? Oh, we're halfway through the week because people hate their job. And, you know, the main reason they do is because they pursue money. Even the financial counselors that are in the colleges and in high schools, when they talk to people and say, well, I want to be an artist. Well, you can do that, but there's not much money into it. You know, there's a lot of them out there around the, the streets. And when living in New Orleans, you go around the French Quarter, you saw them out there all the time. There's a thing called starving artists. And, you know, and of course, we've got Jonathan here that's prospered in it because his heart's in the right place and he's serving God, the Lord through his gifting. But it is so wrong to tell somebody, well, I want to be a plumber. Why do you want to be a plumber? You know, why do you want to be a dentist and play and spit all day long? <laughs> you know? Why do you want to be a missionary and go over to a third world country and spend 15, 20, 30 years over there in complete lack? And, you know, you may be thinking like someone I was talking to one time. He says, I don't know how they do it. I, I, just don't, I just don't know if I could do that. Go over there and give away all the comforts. And I'll go over there and says, you, you, you can't do it because you haven't been called to do it. Right. But if you're called, yes. you can't wait to get over there. And you'll come back in. You'll do some fundraising things and everything. But this is not where you belong. Get me back out there with the real world. Right. They are happy. They're glad to be there. It is so important for us to be content in our calling, in what God's called us to do. And because you know why? We will thrive in that. Absolutely thrive in that. I don't like plumbing, but I've done some of it. Eugene had a major leak at his house just a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm still feeling the pains of that thing because he's got crawl space under the house about this much. And I got up under there and listened because his power bill was going sky high and his water bill was going sky high. And so I got up under the house just a little ways and I listened. I, could, I said, Gene, I can hear something. He said, I can hear like water. He said, no, no, that's the fan on the deck. I've got it going. So I went and turned the fan off and I still, I still hear it. But it was way over this way and then I had to make a hard left. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm claustrophobic. I, I've known that ever since back in Bowling, Kentucky, when they uh, did an MRI on me because I had a pinched nerve in my neck, and after dealing with it for about a month, it wasn't going away. So we better be sure there's something going on with your brain or something. So they put me in there, and the guy asked me, is you claustrophobic? I said, no. He stuck me in that tube, and I was um, 255 pounds back then. My shoulders were touching the side of that thing. It was this far from the top. I said, get me out of here. <laughs> so he got me out, and he says, well, he tried to encourage me. He said, look, we can call your doctor to give you a little something to take the edge off, and we can put you back in there. Because really, if you got something going on, this is going to show him. I took a deep breath. I said, stick me back in there. 
And he did, and I just started praying. And you know what? I had the peace of God come all over me. And I was able, and they had me in there, and you hear this terrible, if you've been through an MRI, thumping, banging noise going on. And so I was in there, it's probably 15, 20 minutes, but it felt like an hour. They pulled me out, and then they had to stick me back in because they had to turn my position just a little bit. I don't know how I got on this story, but it'll come back to me. Oh, yeah, thank you, crawl space. So anyway, I looked, and I am telling you, it's a plumber's nightmare. I'm not talking about where the plug, I'm not talking about the plug, I'm talking about where it was and getting to it. And so I put on my, I had on my jeans, I put on a long sleeve shirt, I put on gloves, and Kathy took duct tape and she taped around because I was worried about a brown recluse spider and snakes. And so and then she wrapped it up here, I put on an extra pair of socks, and she took that extra pair of socks with my pants, we've got a picture of it, I wish you could see it, and duct tape around that. I put a hat on my head, and I put my, 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 my uh, scarf on like this, and we duct taped around that. <laughs> and then I got under there, and I went wiggling and worming. And oh, my goodness, the whole time I'm looking for snakes and spiders. And, and uh, I finally I got to one point, but I had to turn this corner. And I'm talking about it is this, I mean, claustrophobic city. And I saw a large, I mean, it was spraying. just looked like about a gallon a minute. Of water. That's how bad it was. So I went worming back out of there. And that line was connected directly to his water heater, which showed the reason for a high power bill because that water heater was constantly running. 220 volts constantly running means a big power bill. Water bill sky high. I got back out from under there. I wasn't out there too long. We had the plumber come out. And uh, we had sort of an emergency call come out. He, he looked under there. He actually killed a big spider. And we actually saw a snake, you know. So I took my precautions and I went under there. But it took me a couple weeks of my body to get contorted back to the right position after all that. But that's the kind of situation you can find yourself in in things that you need to do that God gives his grace and gives his sufficiency for you to do something like that just to serve my brother in doing that. You know, so I have no idea why I went there. Somebody help me out here. <laughs> Jesus said in Luke 12, oh, you're calling. I wa yeah, I wasn't called to be a plumber. I don't like it. I don't like plumbing to this day. That's what it was. I don't mind playing with the electricity a little bit, but I don't, I don't like, in fact, the young man that came out, he was a skinny, skinny little small dude. And I, I just looked at him. I said, well, you're the right guy for this job. Yeah. And he went under there and fixed it. You know, and I asked him, I said, uh, I bet you. And you know what? He had, a, he had a little thin hazmat suit. He put that thing on. He looked like an Oompa Loompa by the time he got that thing on. If you know what an Oompa Loompa is, you don't. What kind of movie you can watch? But, I mean, it covered his feet all the way up to his entire body. And he went up under there and fixed that leak. But I asked him, I said, boy, I bet you've been in some. He said, you have no idea. Yeah, I said, well, I said, I'm glad I wasn't called to be a plumber. But you know what? Every job has its gives and takes, right? You know, people will get discontent with one work and go, to, I hate my job. They'll go into this job because and they totally miss it because they're looking at the wrong things. Because I don't care what work you're doing, you're going to have ups and downs in that work. It's just life. And Jesus said in Luke 12, 13 through 21, he said, and one of 
the company said to him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide his inheritance with me. Jesus said, man, what have I made me judge or divider over you? And he said to him, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life is consistent more than the abundance of things he possesses. And then he spoke a parable unto them and said, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do, because I have no room to where to bestow my fruits? And he said, well, obviously, this is a self-centered, selfish person. You know, he had more than he needed. Well, what do you do when you have more than you need? What are we supposed to do? But he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build a greater one. And there, will, there I will bestow all my fruits and all my goods. And I will say, so thou hast, made, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which you have provided? So he said, Lay up your treasure for him, lay up for treasure for yourself, for himself is not being rich toward God. It's not. So contentment, you know, if if how many people have you read about that have won the lottery that are broke? And miserable and worse off than the first thing. See, we tend to think money is going to solve our problems, but it doesn't. I know too many that are wealthy and well off, and they keep buying and they keep getting things and so forth like that. They got a place in the mountains, they've got a place uh, out in Florida on the beach, they got a place in Colorado, and they're still miserable. Because they never took the time to peel back the layers and realize their issue was they didn't have Jesus in their life. But most of the warnings that we are given in the word have to do with believers. In fact, if we looked at um, if we looked at um, Colossians chapter three, and just to give that in its context, he's speaking to the Colossians that had been uh, troubled. By Gnostics. And really it was a form of legalism because they had added other things. Gnosis being knowledge. And that you had to know this and you had to do these certain things. It was contrary to what the word of God says. So he says in chapter 3 verse 1. And I've got it memorized but I want to read it just a minute. Because I want to emphasize a thing or two. If my fingers would agree with me here. Not supposed to lick your fingers during COVID. He says, If then you're raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now to understand the first part of that, seeking those things, setting your mind on things above. The key verse here is you've died and your life is hidden in Christ. In Christ. In fact, Tim was preaching some uh, months back about being in Christ and how many times, and I don't remember how many times, it was 56 times or so it's mentioned in the word of Christ, in the word of God about being in Christ. We are in him. 
And that's the key to the whole thing, that what are the things that we're seeking that are above us, the heart of God. And if we look to him for everything that we need, he will guide us into things. He'll bless us with things. He will, he will be our source because we're seeking, first of all, our priority in our heart and the attitude of our heart is right. And in the midst of when we, the temptation comes, oh, to get that new this or that or something else, we, have, we walk by the wisdom of the Lord. He says, Lord, we talk to the Holy Spirit. Is this something that I need or, or that I want? And, you know, there's nothing wrong with the wants as long as the wants are living within your means, once again. As long as the wants are, you're hoarding everything to yourself and you're not sharing with others. Hey, can I borrow your lawnmower? No way. My daddy told me don't never loan anything to anybody because you won't get it back in the same shape you can get it. Yeah. So what? Now, I learned from, from the, Kathy's dad told me that one time that anytime you borrow from somebody, something from someone, give it back to them in as good or better condition than you got it. And I never forgot that. That's right. And I always make a point to do it. If I borrow a chainsaw, maybe put a new uh, a cutting chain on that thing or something. I was speaking on contentment some years ago in Bowling Green at a church service there. I was doing three nights of teaching. And I was talking about contentment. And how we need to be content with the things we have. And this old country boy, he just blurted out, if Walmart don't have it, you don't need it. <laughs> I thought, amen, thank you, brother. If Walmart don't have it, you don't need it. You know, we don't need to walk around with these name label jeans. Nothing wrong with it, but as long as you're not trying to promote yourself better. Hey, listen. We got to peel back the layers, and I, and I encourage you to do that with things maybe you're struggling with now, with contentment, or maybe just your walk in life. I knew a guy once; uh, uh, his name was Presley, and he was he was pretty much raised in poverty, in poverty. And he said, "Never again will I be without anything." And boy, I tell you what, he didn't. Now, I knew what his income was, probably about the same as mine. But man, he dressed. Oh, he, like he just stepped off the Forbes magazine. He made sure he had the finest clothes and everything else. But inwardly, things were just falling apart with him because I know the rest of the story with that. No need to go there. But you got to peel back the layers sometime and ask, why do I want this? Is there an underlying thing that the Lord wants to teach me about something? Sometimes it costs us to do that. But I'm going to tell you, I was, I was talking to the Lord about this word as I, prepared, I was preparing it, and I had to look at my own life, and I put myself under a microscope about where I am today. And so I'm not going to get under your fingernails because it's too painful. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do that. But I'm going to tell you that the Lord told me what the key is to living a life of contentment, and not only contentment, but with your calling and everything else. He said, what you're called to do is live a resurrected life. I thought, Lord, that is so good. That would make a good Easter message. Because most of the time, that sort of message is preached around Easter time, and it's, it's, it's neglected the rest of the year. But we are a people that live a resurrected life. If Now listen, it takes a rhema revelation of the written word for us to really comprehend and understand what that means. That we're die we have died with Christ, but we live in him. In fact, 
I think the very best scripture that I can read on that is Galatians 2.20. And I, I mentioned it last week, but I memorized it years ago. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. And Colossians 3.3 says, for you died and your life is hidden in Christ. But he says, nevertheless, I'm alive. I'm crucified with Christ. My life is hidden in Christ, but I am alive. Yet not I, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the present, the life that I now live in the flesh, he's hitting home with this, I live by what? Faith. And what is faith? I heard someone years ago in a message, and I'm going back a long time, but I never forgot it. You ever hear something like that It just sticks with you? He said faith, he's given a simple definition of faith, and he said faith is actively doing the will of God. Man, I like that. Because, see, faith without obedience to the word is not really faith. Because the word talks about being doers of the word, right? Or it's not really faith. It's, it's caught up in other things. But actively doing the will of God, that is living a resurrected life. See, he says, I live by faith, actively doing the will of God. He says, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's where his faith lies. Living a resurrected life. And Paul really brings that home in Philippians chapter 3. And you can listen along with me, starting with verse 4. He says, though I, may all have also, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinketh he hath wherein he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and a Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law, a good Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, I was blameless. Obviously, we knew that wasn't true. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yes, doubtless, I count, uh, I count all things but a loss of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I do not count them but dung. That I may win Christ. In other words, everything that he boasted on before and who he was was completely stripped away because now his life is hidden in Christ. And he goes on to talk about his knowledge of Christ. And you know, knowledge, to know, we look at that differently than if we had the mindset that he had back then. Because to know, he's talking about, is really experiential. It's a knowing that has experience behind it. He was circumcised and obeyed the law of Moses concerning the outward observance of the law. He was blameless. His natural descent from Abraham gave him favor, so he thought. All that was necessary for salvation he accomplished. He had done all the do's and avoided all the don'ts. And then he saw he was wrong, that he totally missed it. So the Western idea of knowledge is different from the Eastern mindset of that time where they saw that knowing was experiential. Paul said he wanted to experience Christ and the power of his resurrection. 
That's where the key is, knowing the power of his resurrection. If we know that, I think if we really understand the rhema meaning of that, the revelation of that, we would see healing happening more readily than it was. And it's almost like there's just an anemic in the body of Christ of the supernatural power and the working of the Lord. And it's because I think we've lost our true sense of identity, talking about the body at large, lost our true sense of identity that we are crucified and buried with him, but we're alive in him because we're raised up in what? In newness of life. Now, we can read that, you can hear that, but you've got to get the revelation of living that kind of life because it changes your uh, perspective, it, it changes your thinking, it changes your attitude. Yes. You begin to see things differently. Amen. Now, if you're at a place to where you're looking for something better than what you've got, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as your heart's in the right place and you're serving him with what you've got. But listen to this. He says, knowing the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Whoa, wait a minute. Take your foot off the accelerator. I'm not sure I want to go there. But what is the fellowship? And Paul knew what the fellowship of his sufferings were. Jesus says, the world's going to hate you because it hates me. He says, we're going to suffer persecution. And Paul suffered some persecution. He identified with the sufferings of being a believer, of being a resurrected uh, person by the life of Christ in him. We know he was stoned. We know he was shipwrecked, I think, at least once, but several times, I think he mentions. We know he was thrown in, in prison, according to Acts chapter 16, 25. Uh, him and Silas got the beating of their life, you know, and they were thrown in prison. And at midnight, what were they doing? They were singing praises to the Lord. How can you do that? I don't know about you. I don't, I don't like all that pain. And so when I'm going through something. But you know something? When you're living a resurrected life, it means you're living in the power of the Lord. That means his grace is sufficient for everything you go to, including the thorn in the flesh that, uh, that uh, the, uh, Paul wanted the, the Lord to take away. Yeah. And we get caught up in, well, was it spiritual or was it physical? Who cares? Don't get caught up in that. Don't get into debate of that. Just look at the result of it, what, Jesus, what, what the Lord said to him. My grace is sufficient for your every need. And regardless of what we go through physically and, and, and mentally and so forth like that, his grace is sufficient. Rather than say, Lord, deliver me of that and embrace it and say, Lord, I want to thank you because you're teaching me something. I want to thank you because you're building endurance in me. And how do you build, how do you build endurance in you? By enduring. Oh, but we don't like it and it's painful. But Paul identified with his sufferings, and we've got to identify with his sufferings. Yeah. The sufferings of Jesus. Right. Buried and resurrection in newness of life. We are new creatures in him. Old things are passed away. Everything is new. Man, if that won't get you excited, yes. you need help. And Prozac won't do. Yes. You know, we've got to have the rhema of, of the working of God, and we need revelation for that. If we will break through and peel back some of the layers that are holding us back and look at the truth of what's going on in our heart, what's going on, and ask the Lord, Lord, deliver us from that and bring me into the right revelation of what, is, well, what your word says. And we can walk out being a resurrected person through the power of the Lord that we are not our own anymore. He owns us. He, he's, he's within us. He is our life. In, in him we live and we move. And we have our very being. Then we start living life in the right perspective. Then we start giving it to the kingdom joyfully and cheerfully. Then we start serving one another 
with a right heart. We begin, we can share the gospel knowing that we have the truth that a person who's lost has none of those things. They're avoiding, they're lacking, and they're without. And to the world, the sting of death has been taken away from us, but for the world, the sting of death very much exists. Yes, it does. They're afraid of dying, and they do everything they can to avoid that day. Where we as believers, we embrace it. And we know because we know it's not the end of the story because we are spiritual beings living in a physical body. We're not human beings with a spiritual side to us. We are spiritual beings. And when this body quits, and the older I get, the more I, boy, it's amazing. I mean, you can look at age 20 to 30, and there's not that big a difference. And maybe 20, I mean, 30 to 35, and okay, you hit 40, and you're still doing pretty darn good. But boy, it's like things start accelerating. You know, you get 60 and you start feeling, well, I never felt that all the time before. Then you get 70 and you can be in denial like me or you can own up to it and realize, say, man, things are accelerating home. You know what? But my hope and my joy is that this is a temporary body, but the real me is going to go on forever and ever and ever in eternity in the presence of the Lord. How can you ask for anything better than that? But when we have that rhema experience in our heart, the revelation, the illumination that comes within us, and we see all that we have, regardless of what your age is, that your life can be taken from you tomorrow. But that's okay as long as it's in the will of the Lord, and he's the one who's pulling the strings. And I'm going to tell you something. COVID can't take you out. Cancer can't take you out. Diabetes can't take you out. The only one, if you're a believer, that can take you out is when the Lord says, come home. And we're glad to go. Because we have an illumination in our heart of what the future looks like to us. And boy, I don't know about you, but that energizes me to live for today. A resurrected life. The life of Christ where I'm crucified with him, but I live yet not him, but Christ lives in me. And we are so cleaned up, the Holy Spirit actually dwells within you. Do not call yourself an unclean vessel because the Spirit of God will not live in an unclean vessel. And you're cleaned up of your sins past, present, and future because of the blood of Jesus. And you've been ransomed for a price. And your life is hidden in him. And you have this life now, but it's a life of service to him and real joy. And when people see you working alongside them and they're so miserable, but they see you joyful, you know, and and just uh, something different, they're going to want to know what's going on with you. What drugs are you taking? I need some of that. He said, oh, no, it's not drugs. It's Jesus. Well, I don't want to hear about that. Well, then quit asking me questions because that's going to be the answer I'm going to give you. But we have to be a contented people living a resurrected life. And the key to being content in everything you do and where you're at in your job and in your finances and in your home, although you have visions of the way you want things to go, the key to being content is to live a resurrected life. Then everything comes in a proper perspective. And when Jesus died and he came back and he spoke to those disciples... And he said to them, in a sense, he was saying, you're different now. It's a resurrected life. What did he say to do? Heal the sick? Yes. Cast out those demons and even raise the dead. Well, if you come raising me up, be sure you're hearing the Lord. I might fuss at you. Better be a reason for me to come back. But that's what he said to do. And he gave them the power to do it. 
He even gave him a little bit of prelude to that when he sent them out. And they came back and said, Lord, even the demons, they're listening. To, they got to go. And what did he say to them? Don't boast in that, but that your names are written in the book of life. I think if we got the right perspective of living a resurrected life, it would set us so free because it does away with self, selfishness. It does, a, does away with the big ego thing. And we know that we're everything because of the grace and the mercy of God in our life and we're thriving. And young people, if you can hear this today, you can abort a lot. You can learn two ways. You can learn by listening to the experience of someone else. Or you can learn the hard way. Now, I learned a lot of things the hard way. <laughs> because when I was a teenager, I thought I had it all figured out. And I didn't need to listen to them old codgers. Boy, was I ever wrong. Was I ever wrong. So I started listening. But now you're still going to go through things. Don't think you're going to listen to everybody else. You're not going to go through stuff. You are because there's only sometimes the way the Lord teaches us. Mm-hmm. The way the Lord reveals what's in our heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every time. But I am so happy and joyful in him. You might say, how can you be happy? That's a temporary thing. Because I'm joyful, and it's coming from the fountain of life, and it's bubbling up within me. But if we strip away all the things and set our affection on things that are above, if we seek those things, I saw that bump. I wasn't going to call your name out there. <laughs> if we do those things, I'm telling you what, you won't be dealing with, I can't pray for that person to be sick because I'm sick myself right now. Well, I'm telling you what, if you're sick, go pray for somebody else to get healed. And get the tension off yourself. Now, I've been dealing with really, really, really bad foot pain. It felt like my foot was broke. I've been walking around like this. And, and, you know, it's just so painful. And it's swollen. And it felt like I dropped something and broke it. So I was talking to Dr. Doug about this morning. He said, you ever heard of gout? <laughs> or you ever have gout? I said, no, I don't. I had never had. But I was told a few days ago someone else experienced it. Yeah. That's what it is. It, it is really, really painful. It is. Yeah. But I refuse to dwell on that. Yeah. Amen. And Kathy called me the other day. And, you know, I was out working. And she says, how's your foot? I said, it really hurts bad. I said, but you know what? There's other parts of my body that feel good, and I'm focusing on that. <laughs> and I was serious. That's what I did. And I thank the Lord for his healing. But I think we're so hindered when we pray for somebody that's sick, if we could strip that away. And I want to take a moment. I want to end this by us having some time so quiet time, Matt, if you, if you're, if you guys are, uh, feel like you can do it, you can come up and play something for us. But I want us to have a time of where we just come clean with the Lord. Amen. And then I want to have some ministry time and watch what God does. Why can I be confident in that? Because my confidence is in him and not myself. Amen. I'm not talking to you about what ifs today. I'm talking to you about what ifs. And he knows exactly where we're at. And he knows all the things in there. 
running around in our heart and our minds. And he still loves us. And he still says you're called. And he still called us holy and blameless in his sight. All because we're righteous. All because of the blood of Jesus. Could we just stand just a moment? I want to take a few minutes. And as I said, and I'll lead in some prayer, but let's just come clean on some things. Whatever it is that's hindering you, whatever area of discontentment that you're dealing with right now that you need to find contentment in it. As I said, nothing wrong with having things, but just be sure that's not what's capturing your heart. You know, I, I've heard of people before, they're going to get a new car, and there's a particular one that they want, and it's got all the fancy stuff on it, and they spend their day, and as they're driving, they're looking at other cars and things, they're just consumed by it. That's not our place. But when we serve him, and that life, that, 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 that life, uh, rhema word becomes illumination to us, it changes our attitude and our heart. So every eye closed. Let's just take a moment and just come clean with the Lord and ask him. And you know, there may be an area of your life that you know you're having an issue with, impatience, anger, maybe some area of discontentment, and you're not sure why. And just say, Lord, would you reveal that to me so I could continue to live what we call a repentant life? And Father, we thank you that your grace abounds right now at harvest. And Lord, as we give and release these things that are holding us back, some of it we may not even know. Lord, we give it over to you. And we refuse to carry this baggage of discontentment this baggage of a bad relationship with someone or some other area, whatever it is, the Lord knows, but just come before his throne and give it over to him. And just refuse to be hindered, but set your mind, set your heart to live a resurrected life. That your life is hidden with him. And, Father, we confess it to you today, Lord, that, Lord, we're your vessels and you live within us. And, Father, thank you. You've chosen us, Lord, and you've called us to a world that needs to hear the truth. And we thank you, Lord, that we're applying that truth to ourselves today. And we release it and we give it over to you in Jesus' mighty name. And, Lord, my prayer today is that your word would become Rhema to everyone that's here. Illuminate in our hearts, Lord, that we won't get bored with your words that I've read that many times, but we'll look at it from a new perspective. With the eyes of our heart, asking the Lord, show me what that means. Teach me, Lord, what this means. And if you're not sure of your calling today, how you're serving the body of Christ, well, you know what? He can reveal that to you. And the truth is, you're probably already doing it. You just don't know it. But, Lord, we want to embrace what your word says, that you called us 
to pray for the sick and for healing. And those that are bound up by demonic spirits, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you have given us the authority to cast them out. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we have been once dead in things, but now we're alive in you. And we live a crucified life with you, Lord. And we embrace the sufferings of Jesus as well. Because, Lord, we've read the end of the book, and we know the answer. And if any of you here have pain in your body or you have a sickness or something going on, I want you to come forward for healing prayer. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter what disease it is. Or maybe there's something emotionally going on with you that's just pulling you down that you can't find the answer to. I want you to come up because the answer is up here. And you are going to experience the power of the Lord because you standing up here you've gotten away you've cast aside those things that are so readily hindering you and now the power of God is going to move on your life and change is going to happen because you are transformed by the power of God because you've got your mind set and those that are listening online I welcome you and we pray for you today too but, Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the resurrection power. Yes. Lord, we thank you for healing in this body in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, thank you, healing. Lord, from the crown of her head to the soles of her feet. And, Lord, she's taking on more tasks right now. She needs the strength and the energy. We pronounce that as done in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. No sickness or disease can stand up against the power of the Lord. Because now we see the revelation of a resurrected life and we know our life is hidden in you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for release. Oh, God, I thank you that you're making the path clear and you're making the way straight, Lord, and you're removing all the debris of the thoughts and everything into it, Lord, and you're releasing this family, Lord. I thank you for a family that loves you. A family, Lord, that desires and hungers for the truth and to live a transformed life. Lord, I thank you, Lord, God. We've been concerned, Lord, for families here, Lord, and sickness among our, our kids, Lord. But we thank you, Lord, the answer lies with you, Father. And we thank you and we glory in that. Father, I thank you for Seth this morning. Lord, I thank you, Lord. I like that name. Oh, it just was not a name that just came out of nowhere that said that sounds like a good Bible name. But no, but it's your identity. And the things that you're seeking and looking for, that God is going to reveal those things to you in days ahead. And you are no longer going to be bound up in your thoughts, wondering, Lord, what about this and what about that? But, oh, the Lord is changing your thinking supernaturally because you're confessing you have the mind of Christ. Lord, I thank you for a resurrection in him, Lord, a resurrected life, Lord, to where the hidden things and the word are coming forth to him, Lord, and the mysteries of God are being revealed. And, Lord, it's not an accident or a mistake that he's ended up here today, but, Lord, it's a place in his journey to where something is happening in his life supernaturally. Oh, Father, thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord, that there's no lack. There's no lack. There's a bounty. There's plenty in his kingdom. Oh, and the rivers of life are overflowing within you. And there is no lack. And there is no lack of wisdom because God has given you his wisdom for this issue and this circumstance, Lord, that you've been standing faithful in. And God says, I see your faithfulness. And, Lord, I thank you for healing in this body in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for a healing touch in her and a move in her heart, Lord, and every part of her circulatory system. And, Lord, she can just bask in your love. Father, and I thank you for sleep, sweet, sleep, sweet sleep in the night.